0: This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry. And you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business.
1: It's like nothing we've dealt with before.
0: My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day
1: can change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain
0: Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and we are diving into a very lively discussion, who makes a better con, Maltoban or Cumberbatch? Maltel Khan or Comberbatch, you know. There you go. <laughs> we will acknowledge the Space Seed and the Khan are two great storylines and, by and large, more popular among Star Trek fans. But Star Trek Into Darkness is the most successful box office draw in the history of Star Trek films. How about that, Ken? Yeah, no, that's true, Zach. And and we could dive
1: into movie plot lines and gaps and, and all of that, but we're going to look at the cons from the perspective of character, screen presence, dra- drive, passion, villainous, if, if I guess if that's a word. Villainous mean that it's a woman? Or how we should yeah, say v-
0: evilness? Evilness? <laughs> mm-hmm. Dr. Evil? Mm, okay. <laughs> well, regardless, these are controversial topics that generate a lot of feedback. So we will ask. We'll go ahead and put a disclaimer out. We'll ask that we be respectful in our Facebook comments. And this could be a fun conversation. But a lot of people take their Star Trek and their perspectives very seriously and we should allow for diversity of thought between original and rebooted casts i couldn't agree more so you ready to kick this off shall
1: we begin okay we shall so let's start off with character we understand the timelines were the same right through the eugenics wars and khan was the same in both universes when the botany bay left earth but the drivers in the two timelines obviously were very different so Zach, just to to kick things off, what did you see as the similarities and the differences in the two cons?
0: Well, if we're, if we're looking at just what's canon, right? We, we we ignore things like books and comic books, and, and you know we can just for the fun of it we can bring those up later, but right? but for right out of the gate here, I just want to look at what is canonical, what is on screen, right? It's it's hard to compare these two cons because we see the con we see in *Into Darkness*, timeline wise is the same con from Space Seed, you know, around you know in the 2250s 60s. But motivational-wise and all that, he's very much like the con we see in the Wrath of Khan from 2280s, you know, he's uh revenge driven because he's been wronged and he he has a an, an injustice that he feels need to be needs to be righted. So that is his motivation. It, it's weird because Into Darkness is a combination really of Space Seed and the Wrath of Khan on several levels and that informs Khan's character. Uh, it would have been it would have been a more A to B comparison had you know the Enterprise, for example, found Khan in Interdarkness, and then his motivations would all have been the same. he just he was just picking up where he left off when he left Earth, when he went to suspend animation. He's like, okay, I'm back. I got on my crew here. We're gonna continue our crusade for a better future for a better humanity, uh, because ultimately Khan thinks he's doing the right thing. He he thinks that he's superior and that gives him the right to rule over everyone and it's for their own good because he knows better than them because he's mentally physically superior uh and you know I, you get that from Maltovan's khan and uh kumberbatch's khan i mean he um i don't know he, he doesn't have that air of superiority about him i i think i if he does it's 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 less classy than mental bonds you know <laughs> he has he that air of uh, arrogance but it's it's classy respectable arrogance and Cumberbatch he's a little rough around the edges that way so it's it's they're coming at it from very different perspectives mm-hmm I think through most
1: of what I'll, I'll stick it uh, right in with the Wrath of Khan and Into Darkness and, and not travel back into Spacey to kind of I guess make it a little bit easier to bring the two together so what I saw that, that, that they had in common, uh, the way Cumberbatch played Khan and the way Multibon played Khan, through very good direction, I think, from both um, Nicholas Meyer and J.J. Abrams, was for the most part a very controlled passion, a, um, a seemingly calm presence, but you could feel that underlying anger and frustration. Or at different points where you thought they were going to lose it, how they kind of pulled it right back. Now it changes at the end of Into Darkness, where where Khan is pretty much in a rage, and similar to where Khan was at the end of The Wrath of Khan, uh, just as he's detonating the Genesis device and and the Reliant gets uh, blown up pretty good, and, and you know he's 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 ticked off too, but yet calm, uh, and and that's that's where I see the the similarities in how the character was played. I. I haven't read anything as to how Cumberbatch prepared for the role so I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage there. I don't know if he he watched the other movies or if he was told to make it his own that type of thing uh but he had a very very strong presence about him. Uh a very um I don't know, a very intellectual presence about him. And with Khan especially in the Wrath of Khan, I didn't have that intellectual presence even though you knew he was very smart. You had a, a physical stature, like an imposing type of character. So that was probably the bigger differences where where Cumberpatch was imposing, but he did it through that, that deep voice and um, and the expressions that, that he could create. And you could feel like his eyes could burn through you. And Multibon had that to a degree, but he also just had this imposing figure. I mean, he was... He was no joke. He was—he was a big guy. I mean, uh, is was not somebody you wanted to uh, get in an arm wrestling contest with, or a push up <laughs> con- contest with. So I, I kind of see that as um, where they came together, and then where it kind of separated. And it did drive, I think, a lot of the um, the variants in the film, just because of how they they were portrayed. Right? I mean, Khan's uniform and costume was kind of. It, it was raggedy, and it was um, it was appropriate. It, it was just very different, whereas Cumberpatch, if you think about it from this respect, if you've traveled to England, <laughs> if you visited the UK, and I was stationed there for a year, so shout out Tony and uh, Tim. Um, everybody there was always dressed to the nines, right? Even uh, when I was there in 84, anyway. If you were going to work, it didn't matter what your job was. You were always in a suit and uh i i I, one thing i picked up about cumberbatch was you know he had a um you know a a a style about him it it wasn't that much of a costume it was it was more of the um i guess more of a secret agent but yet well-dressed persona right so they they had a a very different approach to the characters uh, as far as i could see anyway
0: yeah he had some nice coats didn't he (laughs) (laughs) He did. And I
1: I think that overcoat, right, is is kind of a a tropish bad guy thing. It's not quite a cape, but it it flows like one. So Mm -hmm. you and he wore it just black, right, for the most part. And uh and he played it off well. And you know, the one thing that he had um I think a little bit better than Ricardo Maltaban was just these piercing eyes. I mean fiercely um piercing eyes and i think that scene when he's in the brig and turns away and and he drops that tear i just remember the color that was uh um you know uh, that was captured in that shot and you just go man this is one intense guy i i I understand
0: why he's a, a very popular actor well that's the scene that got him the role uh, he auditioned with that scene and sent it into Abrams and that's when they decided they had their con so the the, the brig scene there where he emotes and sheds his tears so uh, he, he has a very interesting face he you does. know I, I'm not <laughs> I use the term interesting because I don't know how else to describe it but it's it's uh it's memorable he channels his emotions well through it uh, because you have some you have some actors like uh, you know let's pull out the big guns a Star Wars comparison right Hayden Christensen disappointing performances in the prequel trilogy i don't think anyone can argue with that but he is very emotive you know i mean if if star if the star wars prequel trilogy was a silent film we <laughs> might feel a lot differently about anakin skywalker and his performances because it's only half of it right hayden christian looks intimidating but then he starts talking and you're like eh, i don't know this dialogue you know it's, it's a bad combination but cumberbatch 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 <laughs> can take that and, and then really pull at your emotions because you know, uh, uh, for a lot of this film, you're kind of on Khan's side. You're like, yeah, you know what, Marcus did do him yeah. wrong, so I, I, I want to see him go and, and get his crew back and get revenge on the bad guys. Uh, and that's that's what I'm saying. You're, they're coming at Khan from a very different perspective. And for a lot of the film, I thought, oh man, maybe they're just gonna leave Khan a good guy, right? Which is which is a very uh, well done thing for the film to do to take the most iconic and memorable Star Trek villain, make him not not a hero but at least a you know a protagonist an anti-hero for the majority of the film and have you go along with it and and sell you in that way so uh and you know speaking of Khan's style you know even if you go back and look at Spacey, he had some he had some very elaborate nice looking clothes so he did it <laughs> that in is Space that is a, a through yeah. line through the whole character right yeah that, that's true that's true i
1: think that I, I i agree with you in what you're saying there i i i see where you're going in terms of um the approach that they took took with with cumberbatch, and uh you're right he he had this this presence right, and let's talk about presence a little bit the um the screen presence by both actors was incredible, i think, and it's 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 probably easier to um to look at the more current film and the way things are made today and cumberbatch's popularity, his deep voice and his menacing to say, oh you know he he comes off as a as a very powerful character. But when you watch Wrath of Khan, I mean, he owned that movie. I mean, not only is he in the title of the movie, <laughs> and I think it was originally the Vengeance of Khan, right? Uh, well, I guess it was Undiscovered Country first, first, but at any rate, but anyway, uh, he uh, he dominates. I mean, Multibon really took that role and his presence was every time he was on screen, it was memorable. The lines he got to utter, you know, we all quote them, right? Revenge is a dish best served cold. or (laughs) I'll, you know, uh, I'll, I'll pursue you around the moons of never, you you know, all those things. And there she she is. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's, there's, there is is so much pop culture baked into the wrath of Khan and the lines that Khan's made. I mean, the, biggest line in the movie is kirk screaming khan right echoing across so he had he had he had a great screen presence about him from the beginning i think that the introduction of khan in star trek into darkness was more curious right he's he's this background character he's he can cure this guy's daughter and they play the menacing music but you know, you're you're kind of with an eyebrow raised, okay, where are we going with this? And uh-huh. then his actions are far more powerful and menacing than Khan's. It, it the in than the Khan and the wrath of in the wrath of Khan. It's getting very redundant, isn't it? It's gonna to be tough to follow this discussion. I'll be careful. This conversation. There we go. And and I think that um that that is that is also a key element that that changes the presence. It's you knew you could see on the screen what Khan did in Star Trek Into Darkness but in Star Trek II, that's an easy way to do it uh Khan being on screen you know was was the key draw right it wasn't it wasn't the action or the uh the stuff that he was driving because he was he was on the bridge he was um you know fairly limited in his in his mobility uh, he didn't get into crazy action scenes that uh that Cumberbatch was able to do so i think both had fantastic screen presence but very different
0: right i mean if you look at the introduction of Baltavon's Khan in that movie just the the build up to it is so suspenseful like he's wearing all this survival gear from city alpha 5 slowly takes it off piece by piece the music just crescendos when he takes the you know the headpiece off and he, and you see him and even Chekov's like god and it's like oh man there he is you know it's uh i I compare it to uh the joker's reveal in batman 89 you know he's in the shadows and he's slowly walking out and it's building and building and building and then he steps out of the shadows into a light he's like you can call me joker it's like oh man it's the same kind of idea there and i I find that a more fulfilling screen presence because it it, you've built somewhere and and it pays off and you're like oh man there, there he is and and throughout the whole film, like you said, you're waiting to cut back to Kanye. You want to see what he's up to on the Reliant, what he's doing. And yet, true, we never get to see him do what he does. But you believe just through the the, the sheer performance of Altavon, you believe this guy can do incredible things. I think the most the most incredible things we see him do in Star Trek Two is he lifts Chekhov up by his spacesuit, and then he uh, lifts that debris off of. Uh, uh, I never pronounce this guy's name. Yoakim. Right. Yoak. <laughs> It's like, Joaquin? <laughs> no, that's mm. not right. He but. says
1: Joaquin. Yeah, Joaquin. Yeah, it should be Joaquin, Uh-oh. but that's not yeah. what he says. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, those are the only, uh, you know, physical feats we see him perform. Uh, but but more than that, you know, I mean, he brags about his his superior intellect and how that's the only reason they were, were able to survive on City Alpha 5. And you can believe that because that's a crazy situation they were thrown into, and there they are. They're still surviving. So, you know, uh, proof there. But, you know, for Cumberbatch, it's uh, not that it's style over substance, because there is some substance there. I'm not going to take all that away. A lot of that substance, away. I think. Uh, yeah, but, you know, there is a lot of flash and, and style, and you need that in a, mod- in a modern film, right? I think I think you needed to re-educate people who Khan was uh, and what he could do, and then if you don't want to do that through exposition. But, of course, you know, in the 60s, Star Trek didn't have a lot of budget, so they're sitting around the briefing room. They're talking about, oh, Khan did this, Khan did that. They're genetically engineered show don't tell so in star trek into darkness we really see him he takes on a whole squadron of you know klingon troops and it's very impressive and that that tells you all you need to know about his physical abilities and then you know he was and as we learned he he was found he was sought out by marcus because of his mental abilities because of his mind for war with those two traits of the character are, are well established in the darkness and cumberbatch always has a screen presence to him and that's i mean that's a big reason i think star trek does an excellent job whenever they cast their you know guest villain of the movie right uh and and he he's in that proud tradition i find and uh i didn't i don't know he's not as compelling as Montebon because you're like oh man i want i want to see more of this guy but he he is as interesting if not more so yeah I i would say that and i agree i i think
1: that the the action scene in star trek into darkness oh when they're when they're on Kronos, and he's kicking ass and taking names was fun to watch it it really was and and Obviously you're able to exploit the character in a whole new direction when you when you could take him there because you know they 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 just infused him with um i don't know jedi like reflexes right <laughs> and i mean he's he's not just taking down bad guys he's taking down ships i mean there wasn't there wasn't much he could not do uh and maybe it was a little over the top, but it was fun. What I like right. about uh, Star Trek too and what I like about Maltaban is what you what you pointed out. He lifts Chekhov up, but he's so calm in doing it. And I, I know if you if you watch the commentaries for Star Trek, two Nicholas Meyer coached him not to go over the top because, you know, you just come off that more menacing and intimidating the way you if if you can internalize and just stay cool, right? That I guess for some reason that that highlights um, insanity and, and 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 it highlights presence and menace and I never thought of it that way and and I think it was very very effective I I really do and so I thought the presence of of both Cumberbatch and Maltelbon made both movies what they were to to a large extent and this again this is not a a discussion of you know which movie's better we're just staying on the characters here and for what they had to do I think that they they both did very very well.
0: Yeah, you know, I keep I keep coming back to this Joker comparison, but, you know, people say that Cod is, you know, Kirk's Joker. I believe there's even an episode of Standard Orbit named that from way back in the day before our time here again. But, uh... You know, it, when you have an iconic performance like Craddle Montevane from the 80s, you know, it's one of the most iconic, not just Star Trek, but film villain roles, you know. and then you, Oh, you, yeah. You, you, and then you have another, you know, have Jack Nicholson playing the Joker in the 80s, an iconic performance, not just in superhero movies, but just in cinema in general. And then you get to, you know, the the 2000s here and, and people revisit these iconic characters. You have to approach them differently. Heath Ledger's Joker Is could not be further from Jack Nicholson's Joker, but it's just as valid, just as good, if not better. That's up for that's a whole other discussion for a whole other group of people to have. But Mm -hmm. uh, it was you have to do it that way because if if you play all the same beats as you played last time, well the comparisons are inevitable. But it just it it makes it not so feel so retreaded because you know if you're gonna if you're gonna revisit a character like that, let's do something different because we've already seen that we've already seen what came before and it was iconic. So let's try something different. That was what was so great about Khan here because we never got to see him really to be, to go to his full superhuman uh, potential. I mean, we, we saw him and Kirk fight at the end of Space Seed, and if Khan was, was half the Khan that he wasn't into darkness, he, he could have wiped the floor with Kirk before <laughs> Kirk had the opportunity to pull that that pipe out and beat him. You know, it's like, man, if he could only... If only he could just. Taking a few more beats of that pipe, Con, you could have you won. But, uh, I thought it was a that's... giant
1: 23rd century space wrench, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, strangely enough, I don't think those things were there in the last episode of the time we saw engineering. I don't know what it was, Ken, but it's pretty convenient. <laughs> oh, installed yeah. those well, for just such a situation. You know,
1: we, we haven't brought up Schmedlap in a long time, but I think he kind of left that out, right? He didn't put away his tools. <laughs> I, I don't know what happened there.
0: That,
1: that happens sometimes. But, you know, I think I think one of the things, too, that, that – uh, I neglected to point out is part of the, the the tension and the drama in Into Darkness, or the the intention anyway, was to keep Khan's identity hidden until, that fight. You know, then you start going, oh wait a minute, right? And then then in the brig where he actually announces who he is, and of course he only announces himself with one name, and which I thought was pretty you know again i'm gonna try and stay away from judging the movie because i think there were a lot of gaps in this movie and um it, it's it that was that was a problem this this whole jonathan harris angle that they took Instead, john harrison john harris what did i say jonathan harris
0: yeah isn't that the guy who played dr smith on lost in space <laughs> yeah da, you're right da, da, john, da, da, john harrison da, da, you're right. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Da, da, yeah. Da, da, da. <laughs> that's right that's right
1: you do that well so you know so that was a different that was a different approach too where you have this menacing character but you're not exactly well you're not supposed to know who he is and they really really tried to keep it under wraps which it, you know a lot of people said that was that was a mistake but it, it, hey, it was anyway it was, hey, you know what it was <laughs> you take a risk you you, you you know it was a it was a, it was a gutsy risk to take and it, it backfired on him unfortunately but right as as did much of the movie, in my opinion. Yeah.
0: Well, I think I think your point here, Ken, is is all he needs to say is Khan, and people are like, oh, you're that guy. It'd be if you know if you unfreeze someone from the past and they say, I'm Hitler, right? And that's all they say, right? You like you immediately know who that is and what what they stand for, right? I guess, but Khan's a pretty
1: common name.
0: Or was that not your point at
1: all? <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying that there wasn't any point of reference at it at that situation there was nothing to uh, to 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 hint for kirk for spock or anybody else that this was a a frozen you know genetic superior being there there was nothing right, right? there was there was you know this guy is a terrorist he he blew up uh the uh, the, the depository Olden building library. the library and and you know let's go let's go get this son of a bitch but there was no no mention of any background that would lead you to believe that he was a supervillain or I guess the only, the only real hint you had was the, the blood but even that was a little bit, uh, you know, when he cured that guy's daughter, even that was a little odd um, because you didn't really think in the original series that he had incredible healing powers or anything along those lines. I mean, they really did create a quote-unquote Superman versus right. an enhanced man. Right. And Khan in, the ra- in Star Trek II was an enhanced man. In this one, he was a Superman. He could do just about, he, he could practically fly. <laughs> I mean, he, could, he well, could leap tall buildings or tall starships. That's for sure.
0: That's for sure. Uh, you know, y- y- you mentioned that, uh, well, you know, him just saying Khan, right? But, hey, that's exactly what Multibon's Khan did in Space Seed. He's like, who are you? Khan just caught nothing else he's like nope just caught yes. But then he's he's trying to keep his identity a secret that's <laughs> so it's just right. the irony with cumberbatch takes the same approach when he's trying to quote-unquote reveal who he is uh, a little more information would be helpful but you know i don't think i don't you know it was a stretch enough to believe that cumberbatch was the same character that maltabomb played just due to their physical appearance so if you have if you have Benedict Cumberbatch saying, "My name is Kong Noonien Singh," I, I think I don't think people would have, uh, would have gone along for the ride there. <laughs> that would have required much more exposition, which does exist, by the way, in the uh, comic book tie-in. If you want me to talk about that at all, Ken. Yeah, so. please. I, uh, you know, fill me in. Well, so in. Uh, idw does a great job with all the star trek comic books i I think they're great and they tie into the uh movies and you know they're as close to canon as you get because you know several of the same uh writers well you know orsi uh Mm -hmm. oversees them and they they have a stamp of canon but not you know (laughs) in in, in its own way uh it's pretty much canon until the movie's contradicted there already have been some contradictions but i like to see these because people want to say oh i like the movies and all But I wish we could see that, you know, the regular adventures, the five-year mission on the Enterprise, and this new crew. Well, that's what these comic books are. And a lot of them are well earlier anyway. A lot of them were uh remakes and retellings of original series stories, like uh Where No One Where No Man Has Gone Before, uh Return of the Archons, Trouble with Tribbles, you know, new new twists on those old stories. And that's cool too. But it's been a healthy balance of new stories and old stories retold. But uh for into darkness for a tie-in after the film came out. They came out with a mini-series called Khan, uh, similar to their mini-series of Nero after Star Trek 09 came out. And this chronicles you know, the history of Khan, but the framing device is Khan is on trial after the big crash in San Francisco and before the coda to the film, uh, where they're you know, re-christening the Enterprise and uh, we see Khan in his, in his cryo tube. So he's on trial here. And uh, it's interesting uh, that the many points are raised that look, we, we have no records of this time. Uh, because of the eugenics wars, everything was a mess. Uh, so they're completely dependent on what Khan has to say about himself. And they even mention that, like, throughout, like, Spock and Kirk talk about it uh, throughout the the comic book series, your miniseries. They're like, well, can we even believe what this guy is saying? And it's very self-serving, and, you know, uh, they, they question it as well. So it leaves that ambiguity that, okay, maybe this is true, maybe it's not. Maybe this guy isn't even Khan. Maybe he's just using that name. There's, he has no physical uh, resemblance to the original Khan, you know, because they bring that up because they, they show a picture of, you know, Montalban's Khan. Like this is Khan Noonien Singh. Who are you, sir? Yeah. So part of the explanation, and I I recommend everybody check it out. uh, Just called Khan, Star Trek Khan. So check it out from IDW. It's a great mini series. If you're a Star Trek fan, you'll enjoy not just this, but any IDW comic, but sales pitch aside, (laughs) what what they, uh, what they do here is um, they explain how Khan Went from Bond to Cumberbatch, basically. Uh, we we get a lot of the same history that we're familiar with from the original series and other books, like the Rise and Fall of Khan Noonien Singh, the Eugenics Wars books that Greg Cox wrote a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So we we touch on all that stuff, and then ultimately we, we find that uh, when Marcus's team found uh, the Botany Bay, they uh, unfroze Khan, they altered him, Physically, so he would not be recognized, and then they actually altered his mind. Some they tried to erase his memories. It's one of these classic fiction amnesia things, right? You remember everything like that you can do and like in all your knowledge, but you forget everything about yourself. It's a very, you know very big fantasy sci-fi trope, right? But ultimately. Khan remembers who he is, and that's what's that's what kicks off his rebellion against Marcus, right? Because not only had his his face been taken away from him, but he'd been ripped of his personality, you know, and, and of who he was and his identity, and then his whole crew had been captured. So that is the catalyst to what causes him to go rogue, uh Men of Darkness. Because, you know, that's something else that was left a little vague, you know, in, in the original film, like, okay, who found him? Is this what he looked like and all this stuff? So all those questions are answered in this comic book. Okay. So there you have it folks so that was that
1: was Zach Moore brought to you by IDW
0: <laughs> I, Check I did in the mail as I understand it so
1: <laughs> I'm sure it is now Hey, nice pitch and uh, we'll definitely send him a copy of this tape so um, and no that 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 that's helpful because I I did read the the tie-in to um, to the 9 version the, the the prequel I guess as you would call it countdown countdown to yeah, and and it was okay, you know. It was it was a little bit out there, but you know that doesn't mean I didn't like it. I just it was just interesting, but not not great. And but this sounds like they, there was a there was a lot there to uh, to extrapolate. So as we as we get further into Malteban and we get further into Cumberbatch, I guess my question now is, they both had. Revenge, but two different motivations, right? You had, you had from Star Trek too. The motivation was Kirk abandoned him, and his wife died, and he wants to. He'll do anything to kill Kirk and 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 destroy the Enterprise. And then after that, I guess apparently he's got a starship. He's got a pretty cool uh, device. He's going to wreak havoc havoc in the Federation. So you assume there's there's quote unquote more to come. And then with the uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, it was revenge for what Marcus did to his crewmates or his family, right, or mm-hmm. the people that he holds most dear. Your family, yes. And in in both situations are enough, I think, to to create the the motivation. Although it does show just to the. Um, I guess the lengths that that Khan would go in, in Star Trek Into Darkness by blowing up Section Thirty One's headquarters, right, and killing a lot of innocent people. It was not even a, nope. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wreak havoc because, and and he did believe that his um, his crewmates were killed, right? That that was that was the impression. He didn't realize they were just hidden in a torpedo. Which, um, well, who would? <laughs> Not me, not me. There's lots of places I would hide uh, that that wouldn't be in the top 10. But at any rate, so I I do understand that he's coming from from that aspect of 71 other people are dead. And uh, they were his brothers and sisters, and they were all co-rulers of the world at one time. And so he is going to come after Harris and destroy everything that he holds dear. Marcus, What did I say, Harris again? (laughs) Marcus. (laughs) Robocop. Everything right. that RoboCop holds
0: dear, <laughs>
1: and Buckaroo, dead or alive,
0: you're coming with me, Khan.
1: That, that's right. That's right. Buckaroo Banzai does not win this one, but I, I do. Um, I do think that the motivations were equally powerful, and I think that technology and in, in in what they were driving in the in the more recent movie allowed Khan to really exploit you know scale and scope of revenge where Khan, you know in Star Trek II, he kills Spock, right? Or, in a sense, causes his death. And that's why he was... If, if, if the series ended with Star Trek II, or if Leonard Nimoy's career with Star Trek ended with that movie, that villain would be the all-time leading villain in, in all movie history, I think. Well,
0: well, well, you say that, Ken. In but Star Trek history. Let's remember who killed Captain Kirk, it was Dr. Tolian and Soren, played by Malcolm McDowell.
1: I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Never happened.
0: Soren is actually a pretty interesting character, but he killed Captain Kirk, and no one remembers him outside of Trechtum,
1: So, I don't think comparing generations to T-Walk is a good idea in this conversation. <laughs> because I have, you know... The, but you see what I mean, though. I, I do, and that's why I say what I say. Because, I, you know, Tol, Dr. Tolian uh, is a <laughs> is an afterthought. He was not a great villain, and his, his quest to go back into this ribbon, it, it was such a, a far-fetched story. It, it was just really hard to get your arms around. And the, the drama in how Kirk died... Was was not played up well at all, and and so there's 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 a big difference there, uh, I think, because the other piece of it it was it they really were turning over Star Trek was was changing over right they were turning over to to generations. When when Spock died in Star Trek two, Star Trek was just finding its feet again. It was just getting its sea legs. It, it it came off a movie that that did well but wasn't wasn't successful with critics and it was slow paced. They make a great movie. And I think Star Trek would have continued on without Leonard Nimoy or, you know, him directing and all that other stuff. It would not have been as good, but it would have continued on.
0: Well, yeah, it definitely could have. And they were even trying to set it up that way, planning that the, Leonard Nevoy was going to leave. I mean, that was the whole impetus of him coming back was to have, for him to have that great death scene. He would leave. You're building up new characters like Savick to clearly be the Spock 2.0. Right. David, Marcus is coming on. You know, So we have our you know next generation, so to speak, of characters coming in. You have this trainee crew. So they were setting things up to phase out the older cast. I mean, even looking back at uh, the motion picture, you got characters like Ilea and Decker that trace back to phase two with the same mindset of okay we got the new cast the old cast we'll we'll right. mix these and we'll phase out the old guy so no i i see what you're saying uh and, and yes if if leonard Nua had never come back i guess what you're saying that Khan would be more remembered as as the guy that killed spock because it was such a powerful scene it really was and you know i
1: i remember seeing star trek 2 in the movie theaters over and over again and and you know well i i again you know i there's a there's a, a pretty good show that 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 norm and i did when we compared the wrath of khan and the motion picture and and why i like the motion picture more but it's for very different reasons but that scene in the wrath of khan was very very powerful and uh i don't there's not a lot of movies where you where you go into the theater and you know maybe maybe there's some some rom-coms and things like that or some dramas where you see people cry but when you're a Star Trek fan, and, and let me tell you, the, the the fandom back then, when Star Trek was coming back, you know, the the conventions you see today don't compare to the ones I went to. I mean, twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 people at conventions back then was the norm, okay? Mm-hmm. It was a different world. And when they took that character, because Star Trek was a much smaller universe away from us, um, it rocked. It rocked the world. I mean, people were were really upset and crying. And I know there were also death threats that, you know, because Roddenberry was trying to submarine the whole plot um, and put it out there that, that he would die and all this other stuff and yada, yada. So that, that it kind of took away. And that's why they, they flipped that scene to the beginning. Well, where, were you
0: were you fooled? Yeah, I was going to say, were you fooled by the fact that they killed off the crew the first scene? You think, oh, well, that must have been it. We're, we're I guess we're safe. Huh? I was
1: relieved for a while. But when the situation came up, uh, where you know before before he went running down to engineering, and they realized they couldn't get away. I went, oh, he really is going to die, right? It 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 did hit me, and I do remember that as a kid thinking, oh, maybe he won't, and then being, uh oh. And, and I the I just find that a, just an
0: extremely clever way to go about it. You know, like oh, let's okay, let's kill him off the beginning, and then we're back on track, and. Uh, And here we are. And then and then and then you subconsciously like, oh, we're good. And then it just hits you again, even though you go in the knowledge of, oh, maybe Spock's going to die. You think you already saw it. And then it comes back. You're like, oh, they did it. Oh, my gosh. That that would be such an incredible thing to to see, because, you know, in this day and age, that's never going to be replicated. You know, stuff's going to be spoiled. Stuff they're going to promote stuff like that these days. You know, that's the magic of the movies is you know some of it. Look, movies are still great to go to, but some of that magic is lost, unfortunately, in this day and age. I feel.
1: Yeah, so, I, I agree. And, and if we take it back to Into Darkness, they were trying to do that with Khan. Right? Oh, they look at you
0: can. Well done, sir. Bringing were, it back. They really were. Uh, they were trying to keep <laughs> that
1: all a secret and surprise the audience. And, and, you know, the thought process, people were going to go, yeah, it's Khan, you know, and, and, and instead people went, yeah, we got it, you know, or mm-hmm. there was a lot of leaks just before the movie.
0: Well, they've even, Abrams has even admitted, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty but he's admitted, admitted that, oh, yeah, we probably just should have said it's Khan because you could have built off that the name recognition. But, you know, hey, that's what we're here to talk about, the name recognition of Khan, the character, right? So that's right. if we're talking about the motivation of the two of them, I think, you know, Cumberbatch is Khan he does a lot more damage right but his motivation his his motivation is a lot more understandable like obviously i don't agree with either of these guys quest for vengeance but uh of the two of them he was literally wronged by marcus in section 31 right i mean they woke him up they had him work for him they held his family his crew hostage uh and then as far as he knew killed them all off right so yeah if if i have a if i have a mind for vengeance i would be the same way as Khan. like i'm coming after marcus i'm coming after him hard i'm taking away everything that he loves right but then you look at mantelban's con and kirk had nothing to do with the fact that uh city alpha six exploded (laughs) and everything was laid waste right and that had nothing to do with that and he had nothing to do with the death of Khan's wife or his his people or anything like that. It was purely just just projecting all of the bad stuff that had happened to Khan. Yes, yes, Kirk put him on city off of five, and that, that that's where it ends, right? I mean, that's where his responsibility. And never ends. bothered to check on his progress. Well, you know, I only. <laughs> I just remember
1: that line was a good line, you know, because that that helped you understand where he was coming from. As silly as that thought, and I wouldn't say silly, but. It's it's an odd thing where Space Seed ends, and it's like, wouldn't it be interesting to come back and see what civilization evolved from all of this, right? And and instead, Khan is like, well, it's been 15 years. It's not that long, but it must have felt like an eternity.
0: If they had never made The Wrath of Khan, that would have been an excellent next-generation episode to follow upon, right? Like, you know, because that's, that's what we do now. We cross the streams, right? But we, do. Years, yes, like, <laughs> we do, yes, we do. 80 years later... You know, like you go to City Alpha 5 and you see this, you know, society that has been built up, you know, from from the, from the, the crop that has sprung from the sea we planted to here today. So it's interesting that episode ends with such optimistic promise, then like, boom, reality hits you in the face, right? But that is not Kirk's fault. I always interpreted it, though, that Kirk never told anybody about any of that. Like, that was completely off the books, right? Like, because you, you, that was my just in I'm sure. in one of these novels or books, they they... they explain that probably but that's my interpretation of it that he that that's that's the why nobody went and checked or anything like that because he just it was all off the books what what do you think Ken?
1: I think space is very big and they were left on on a on a nondescript planet in the middle of nowhere and they were forgotten about I, I'm i sure it was in all the captain's logs hmm. in in a sense though Chekhov wasn't in that series and he kind of and Kandig tells a great story as to how he wound up being in the movie and knowing who Khan was <laughs> Uh, you know, I I kind of took it the same way that when they went to what they thought was was City Alpha 5? City Alpha they, 6. They thought they were going to 6. So they were going to 6. They wound up at 5. But when they were going to 6, you know, it, it would have been appropriate if it had been... Sulu or Hora as the executive officer, and mentioning something. You know, it's like I haven't been to this system since we we dropped off these these characters from Earth who were frozen, uh, and and tell a story. You know,
0: but you can't you can't do torture Sulu. You have to do torture Chekhov. That's how it works. Ken. So. nobody?
1: <laughs> hey, you know, Sulu has the has the oh my and the and the great you know lines and and the way he brings it, but nobody screams like Chekhov. Nobody yeah. screams like Chekhov.
0: <laughs> Oh, and so all that to say that maybe somebody should have checked on Khan at some point sure I I don't think anyone was obligated to it would have been nice but you're right space is very big there's only so many starships to go around this is the early you know this is still in the early days of, of Starfleet all things considered big picture wise Khan's uh, you know anger at Kirk is completely misplaced you know he tra- as Chekhov says Captain Kirk was your host you returned his hospitality by trying to Take over his ship and murder him. <laughs> so I think at the end of the day, Kirk was actually very merciful to Khan, and he forgot that very quickly when uh, you know the weather turned bad and the <laughs> and set he off of five uh, turned to an inhospitable wasteland. Unfortunate turn of events, but uh, his motivation is really whacked out, and you can see that Khan is a broken man. Right, he's a broken man. He had these aspirations, right, to better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Right, mm. so he thought he was going to build this new society, a world to conquer, and all that. And yet it all turned to garbage. And, you know, of course it's going to break him. And then his wife, who he loved passionately, uh, died as well. So he's got nothing to live for except for his hatred to Kirk. I think, you know, that's the thing that probably, even more so than his superior intellect, is the thing that kept him alive all those years. Burning vengeance of, like, if I ever get the opportunity, I'm going to come after Kirk and get him for doing this to us. Uh, But still, misplaced, not Kirk's fault. So of the two of them, Cumberbatch has the more uh, reasonable... (laughs) Uh, motivation right
1: yeah he just he just takes it to a to a i guess you could argue that both of them take it to a level far beyond what you would think would be reasonable but that's what vengeance does i guess i i absolutely understood where khan was coming from from the perspective uh multibon was coming from but from the perspective that you mentioned that his brain was twisted right he's he's been living in this hell for X amount of years what he said six months after they were left there so for right. 14 and a half years they've been living in hell thinking about this every day and of course your perspective changes you know as, as people start to die or you lose your wife the only thing you think about was that guy who, who put me here so I, I get right. that piece and then for for Cumberbatch's con yeah it's very clear I mean you, you killed 72 of my, my brothers and sisters oh you're gonna pay right and right. Uh, now now he blew up London, he took out San Francisco, I mean, he, he did a lot of bad things and and at the same time when it worked to his advantage you know, he was calm, he was helping Kirk, and I always wondered if they didn't stun him would he have been as bad as he was, and, and the answer Sorry. to that is yes, he would have been, he, he would have <laughs> taken them out anyway, because that's what Prime Spock tells the other Spock, no matter what you think this guy is you know he's gonna turn and, and
0: why well, that's that's, I, that's some bias on Prime Spock. though. you know I mean yeah, that was a, that, this con has a very different life experience than that con. So I, I don't know.
1: You know no, I mean, his, I, I, his I, DNA is and his, his everything about him is about being a ruler, um, you know, unpassioned ambition. This guy is going to rule the world, and so,
0: so nature over nurture, then, Ken, is what you're saying. I think so in this Khan. case, because that's well, he he's genetically engineered. So. <laughs> well, he is. That's right,
1: and so that's why I say what I say. It would have been another gutsy call, I think, and kind of a cool one if, if you know, there was some way to end that movie um, with with Khan coming into the fold, right? Like a, a big change of of direction, but you know, the, he's he's the Michael Myers of the 23rd century, man. You can't kill the boogeyman. He's, he is what he is. And you can be as nice to him as you want, uh, but the second he gets the opportunity, he is going to kill you in order to advance his cause.
0: Right. Because ultimately, you know, if, if they hadn't stunned him, right, he would have taken over the vengeance. Uh, and then if, you know, just just to say, for the sake of conversation, they they don't talk to Spock Prime. They give Khan his crew back. He thaws them out, and then what? They would probably just rule, like, over Earth on the vengeance, right? Take out the Enterprise, and then just you know, take out any ships that came their way. I mean, I see your point there. Because these, these people, I mean, they I hate, I hate, the, the nature-nurture thing is interesting, but I think you have to throw it out when they're genetically engineered to be this way. So I that, that completely removes that whole great philosophical debate of the ages from the conversation. The conversation, mm-hmm. I, uh, he just, you know, similar to what happens in Enterprise in, in a mirror darkly, right, uh, Empress Hoshi Sato has the uh, defiant from uh, the 23rd century feature comes to Earth and just takes over because she has a superior ship and obviously everybody bends to her will because we have the Terran Empire 100 years later when we get to TOS and mirror Mirror. so you know I would that that would be a very similar series of events with Khan and the Vengeance because it was obviously much more sophisticated than any other starship that the uh, Federation had just the only reason that, that it was taken out was because Spock blew up all the torpedoes you know, yeah. inside the ship, which the ship didn't plan on that, having 70 torpedoes to blow up inside it. So even Khan couldn't think of that contingency, right?
1: So. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that the, the ship survived that, you know I mean? It's, it's.
0: Well, uh, barely. <laughs> well, it was
1: intact enough. I mean. it intact enough to crash, yes. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't like the nacelles got, you know, where it blew up in the center of the secondary hall, you would have think that you know, the ship would have blown into a bunch of directions, and maybe the saucer section would have survived, which still would have wreaked a lot of damage on San Francisco in theory. But it, I'm just, hey, you know, it's, it doesn't no, matter. All,
0: you know, in here in that situation, though, you see before before the big torpedo blow-up, you get to see the cunningness of Khan. Right? He's like, you're a logical analyst, Mister Spock. Let's discuss this logically. So he plays out like you do this, and this happens, and this happens, and then boom, you know, I win regardless of what happens. And that that's a side of Khan that you know we got to see hints of in Space Seed, but we never got to see after that because he had been broken and warped and, and by all his time in City Alpha 5 he was just uh, dr- hey, one track mind revenge right his crew tries to talk him out of it you know like hey we have the will to go where we please uh, let's do something else you know let' not devo- <laughs> let's not chase Kirk you know oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but he could not escape from that one track mind uh, and, and we got to so we got to see Khan to his full potential in into darkness because he had not gone through that you know crippling situation.
1: I think that's an excellent point. The Maltoban Khan could be manipulated. Benedict's Khan could not be manipulated. Let's just put it that way. You know that, that He was manipulated into doing the things he did under the threat that his family would be killed if he didn't. And then once he thought they were dead and he had nothing to lose, there was there was no other way you were going to be able to talk him off the ledge the other con, or, or or drive him over the ledge he was gonna he was gonna take control that's why he was so calm and so you know in in into darkness you know when they're marching him down to sick bay at any time you know he just took out all these Klingons he could have taken out every one of those security guards and wreaked havoc on the Enterprise but he didn't he was patient right and that's that's huge for somebody who is hell-bent on on revenge and full of anger and has all this strength and and ferocity in him, the ability to control it, was with him. It was not with Ricardo Montalban's. He could not. Can, you know? Con. You know. I'm laughing at the superior intellect. Right. All right. Now I'm going to come kick your ass. You <laughs> know. I'm done.
0: It's a, such a, like a grade school mentality. Like you know, what an insult to to like calling Marty McFly chicken or something, right? Like, oh, that'll get him. Um, yeah. That's, right. That's what gets con worked. in the end. It worked. Yeah. yeah it and the, worked. so the two dimensional thing, talking about their you know different approaches here. The two dimensional thinking always bothered me. Okay. You know, uh, I mean, because it's like. Yeah, I get he's from the twentieth century, but even then, you have planes in the sky. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like uh, that's what ended up saving the Enterprise at the end. Well, not saving, but give them a huge advantage over Khan because he's thinking of he's thinking the way that Star Trek thinks about ships. They're always on the same plane facing each other. You know, that's right. That's not how space works. You know, that's right. So so that's how the Enterprise can come up behind him and uh, take advantage of the three dimensional thinking of space. So I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like. I get the point they were trying to make, but I don't think that that was like the killing blow. You know what I'm saying, Ken? I, I do. I,
1: I think that the um, the way they approached it was okay. Just that one line, he's intelligent but not experienced, had them thinking in a different way, right? You know, okay, now we have to think more about the training and the the many, many years in space. And yeah, you know, going vertical versus horizontal is pretty simplistic, I give it that. But I think <laughs> I think it was... It was a tangible thing, you know. If yeah, I, I don't that's know how they is. could yeah. have they could have played it otherwise. You know, they could have done right. some kind of spiraling maneuver in space or something, or um, you know, maneuvered the ship that would have been impractical with big heavy models. But you could probably do it today. And,
0: and right. no, that's some, an excellent way to a, a yeah. tangible thing, a tangible explanation to kind of distill down the the, the tactical disadvantage he's at. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. They used a simple maneuver to do it, but you understand that there had to be more to it, right? So, Z minus ten thousand meters.
0: Right. Well, you know, and the thing about Maltabans con Khan is, is he had a equal, if not inferior, ship to the Enterprise, which made his attacks, you know, more impressive that he was able to do that. While, meanwhile, Cumberbatch's Khan had the most advanced ship Starfleet had ever created, and like, okay, well, that's that's easy. You know, it's easy to defeat the Enterprise that way. So you know that there're definite pros and cons no fun intended to <laughs> the situations that each of them are in.
1: Oh, you're you're absolutely right. I didn't think of that dynamic. And I guess I never thought as the Reliant as being an inferior ship. Uh just a different one, right? I mean different different mission, different, you know, I always thought that the Reliant was probably more it was funny because the Reliant was it seemed to be more of a warship just the way it had its Forward and aft torpedo launchers, and its roll bar, and its phaser banks coming off the the ends of the roll bar as well. It, it just seemed to have more weaponry, but yet it was being used for a very scientific mission, right? So it was fulfilling the Starfleet um, mission or or drive or you know you know everything about being an explorer and, and being so, as a humanitarian
0: and peacekeeping armada. Again,
1: that's right, baby. And uh, and and the Enterprise, yeah, it was getting a new crew, but. You know, it's I I always like to think of it the way when I when I view the motion picture that it's it's sexy it's the it's the it's the ship of the line you know it it rocks and all that other stuff but it was it was aged and it was it it had a different feel but I I hear where you're going it it might not have been as strong or as advanced as the Enterprise but it was pretty close right it was it was more compact I guess you could it was the Voyager. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, right? The Voyager was a pretty powerful little ship, but uh, it it wasn't the uh, the USS um, Holiday Inn. I mean, Enterprise. Day, <laughs>
0: <you>. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that, Those are the cons there. You know, I. But you know, I guess the the, the ultimate question, the big question here, who was the bigger villain uh, of the two? And, you know, if I had to answer this, I would I would have to say Cumberbatch. It just, you know, from all the things we've discussed, I mean, he created the most collateral damage. Uh, did not seem to care who got in his way for revengeance. I, mean, uh, I mean, he had a lot of more opportunity to, because obviously Multibon's con was in deep space. And, you know, he was just, the, his one target was the Enterprise. He went out and sought out that target, and he stuck on that target to the bitter end. Uh, Cumberbatch's con had a lot more opportunity uh, to uh, wipe people out along the way, and he did. I mean, he killed Captain Pike. Let's not forget that. You know, Bruce, Bruce Greenwood's Captain Pike, one of the best parts of the first two Star Trek films in the Kelvin timeline. Kirk's surrogate father figure. You know, uh, we all know Captain Pike from the Prime timeline. He had a tragic end there. It turned into a happy ending, after all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he had a tragic accident there, and this mirrors that. You know, it could be seen as the timelines aligning themselves. Who knows? But, you know, the fact that we lost Captain Pike, I mean, that's a gut punch, you know? That was, that was a very powerful moment in End of Darkness, and that's directly, is directly responsible to that.
1: Uh, excellent points. I, I, I don't disagree. I just had the, the, um, the take that the emotional impact because of the timing in the film, right? When, when Spock died, rocked so many people's worlds in a different direction. Now, in theory, Khan killed Kirk in into darkness, but it just didn't play well. And by the, by the time you get to that point to the movie, the impact of of Admiral Pike's death has been lost. I think a bit; it's diluted. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. Because so, so
0: much more has happened. I see what you mean.
1: Yeah, cinematically, at the moment that did occur, you're right. That was that was a great movement, a great moment in the film, a very powerful moment. And and Abrams has, has does have a knack for that. Even even Kirk's birth in the in, in the first movie. May be one of the most powerful Star Trek moments in any of the yeah. movies. That,
0: that, that might okay. probably might be my favorite scene of any Star Trek incarnation. Honestly, so. it
1: really was beautiful and tragic and all and emotional all in once. I mean, you you can't you don't get those combinations too often. You know where
0: combinations.
1: Wow! Here we go.
0: <laughs> so, uh,
1: as far as who the bigger villain was, as far as just overall destruction and mayhem and chaos, Cumberbatch, without a doubt. As far as emotional impact, uh, that, like I said, if if Star Trek Three had gone in a different direction, I think that that Khan, if if he still isn't the most favorite, most hated villain in all of Star Trek. I I don't know who is. You know, he... he, I I remember for many years after that, and they would compare, oh, Khan versus Krug. Said that, right? Um, You know, obviously, um, Captain Claw was a joke. Um, (laughs) Well, everybody was like, oh,
0: he... He's the next con. They say that about every villain. Like yeah, uh, and and I thought Rafo was the next con. Like no, I I don't think so. No, all the no, 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 respect that, to Abraham, but you were no con, sir. Oh God, no, no,
1: no, no. <laughs> and and General Chang was a great villain. I thought, you know, articulate, cunning, plotting. You know, he he was a pretty evil guy, but just not to the level of of, uh, of Star Trek Two's con, in my opinion, and and the. You know, neither was uh, Nero in 09. Well, Malta
0: Vaughn's Khan had history with the crew, which is something that no other villain in any other Star Trek movie has had, right? This is the same character, the same actor who the crew met 15 years ago. That's right. Right, So so that, that creates such a, a tie-in to, to emotional investment from previous that you don't get with all these people you see in one film, and then they're gone. You know they're going to be gone, right? The, the guest star villain of the week, right? They're going to be gone in this movie. Uh, so, you know, that, you know, if they had chosen to go in a different direction with Cumberbatch's con where he's like, he is, you know, this antagonist antihero, sorry, protagonist antihero and in the darkness stays there and we don't really resolve his character yet. Maybe he goes off in space with the vengeance or something, who knows? And then comes back in three or four, you know, that, that you have more emotional investment uh, into that character, so but when they're these one and done villains, they just do not have the same impact. So I think regardless of cinematically, no villain is gonna match Maltovon's Khan in the Star Trek universe unless it's unless it's somebody that you have a vested interest in already. So
1: that's my take on it. I, I that that that's a very fair point. So I guess the answer to the question, in my opinion, is this <laughs> that um, that Cumberbatch's Khan was a great villain and and created a lot of mayhem mayhem and and the 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 death of pike was huge uh i, I it got carried away though um when when they took out san francisco in the ship it, it was a great plot point but it was almost like it didn't happen you know a year later and they're talking about the relaunching of the enterprise and they're they're flying the missing man formation but i'm thinking didn't he wipe just wipe out tens of thousands of people at least in theory he must have uh, and and I thought because there was so much violence and so much of the the effects and impact, it, it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Whereas with Moselbon, he had that 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 gut punch of of evil uh, by killing the most beloved character in Star Trek. Right, and people can argue left and right who was more popular, Kirk or Spock. I would I I would think it would be tough to argue that Leonard Nimoy Spock wasn't the most beloved character and um it it had it had a very emotional
0: impact on on all of us
1: old timers back in the day
0: (laughs) well loss is always more profound when it's you know uh, specific you know and so you know spock dying specific loss huge emotional impact into darkness and, and you can translate this in the real world, right? Hundreds and thousands of losses—the human mind can't even comprehend that. You can't even compute that, so it becomes a statistic to you. That's yes, right. you say, "Oh, well, that's terrible. All those people died," and then you go about your business. But like, if, if someone you know and love died, I mean, that that wrecks you for you
1: that's know, right. that's days, right. weeks,
0: you know. And that, that's what that's what that's what you're getting at. And I and I agree. There, uh, as as the viewer, as the audience, as the Star Trek fan, clearly, that's the situation that's going to stick with you more and hit you harder. So, you know. There it is. There it is. Great discussion. This was fun. This was fun. You know, you know what you know else is fun, Ken? Leaving reviews on iTunes. That's right. So we we still have our <laughs> our iTunes review giveaway. So what we're doing is for anyone who leaves an iTunes review for standard orbit on the iTunes store, US, UK, any country, just let us know. We're gonna give away a Blu-ray of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1. So uh, leave us a review between now and December 15th, and you'll be entered to a random drawing, and you could own the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation on Blu-ray.
1: That's right. And, and Aaron Harvey, as ridiculous as it sounds to you... We're all Star Trek fans, and <laughs> I, I did love his um, his note on Facebook about, well, that makes a lot of sense, TNG on a TOS show. I was like, yeah, okay, I know it doesn't make a lot of sense. It makes
0: sense in context. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> It'll never make sense, but it's what we have, right? It's what you have, and it, it's never been opened, and it's real, and it's it's pretty cool. That's a whole season worth of... it of, uh... is
0: 26 episodes plus many special features. I'll tell you what, if you, if you guys have not seen or gotten the Next Generation Blu-rays, they're worth the behind-the-scenes material alone. It's so in-depth, you know, talking about, you know, especially the first season because it's talking about how we got from the original series and original series movies to starting a brand-new era of Star Trek and the Next Generation. You get, you know, archive interviews with Roddenberry, Robert Justman, you know, DC Fontana's in there. So just David Gerald, all these guys, original series tie-ins, okay, launching Next Generation. So it's great stuff, hours of bonus material on there. So good.
1: Yeah, yeah, so... You know, hats off to uh, to uh, to to the team there in uh, in in Earl Grey, right? We've got yeah, Richard Marquez, Lee Hutchinson, Lee Hutchinson, and we've got
0: Amy Nelson, Amy Nelson. So yes, yeah, so, right. so we'll be uh, we'll be doing our own Star Trek Generations crossover pretty soon. Hopefully, one of us will not die in an unsatisfying way, but you know, who's to say? So, I, I just uh, hope
1: they get their chemistry together quick, and that they um, they they learn a lot about each other, so that if we do have a bridge mates two point we smoke them. I mean, absolutely <laughs> smoke them. But you know, I I think it's um, it's more than appropriate to wish the three of them the best of luck in their in their new journey. I know we have been real excited on the network to hear that that uh, that Earl Gray is. Back, and by the time this show uh, launches, you guys should be uh, well underway. Sipping your next cup of Earl Grey. Sipping your cup of Earl Grey. And we'll be, um, yeah, if you need help or cover or whatever while you're having your coffee or tea breaks, we'll be up in orbit circling, making sure that you're safe.
0: Well, comparing cons and talking about Star Trek Next Generation are not the only things we've been doing on Trek FM this week. So here's a few things you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. <laughs> Don't watch any of the extras on the first disc because they're all duplicated over the second disc. So then that way you can just watch them in order and not have to worry about, oh, well, let me skip this one because I watched it on the first disc and do all that.
1: Wait, to clarify, they have all
0: the special features in column A on one disc and then all the special features of column A plus column B on a second disc? That is correct. That makes no (laughs) sense to me at all. (laughs) I know. I was very confused when I sat down to watch it. Melodic Treks. Matter? I barely know her. Oh, it's painful. I don't know. You no, snowing me? You like, snowing me? Just saying, Remus and blah blah. I felt myself falling asleep. I, I felt like it was my parents were telling me a good night story where you were giving me that track listings there. That like does it? still it, McFly. That's oh. that's one of my <laughs> favorite ones.
1: Stage Nine: A podcast about the people who make Star Trek. Within about. 15 seconds you texted me back Dr. Giggles we have to do Dr. Giggles and my question for you is yes why did we absolutely have to do Dr. Giggles
0: Saturday morning Trek
1: and all these things just brought in more and more people who thought they were alone and they found each other and they made their clubs and they then they made conventions and that just that's what the 70s were about was getting Star Trek back and finding each other.
0: And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek.fm, you can always find us on Trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash Trek FM and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook.com slash Trek FM, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B A B E L, into the search field on Facebook. Or go to our website at Trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar.
1: So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes and helps us increase our visibility for new listeners. So let me talk to you for a second about Patreon, Zach. Patreon is the program that Trek FM employs in order to get donations to keep the network coming to you commercial free. It is wonderful. Most of the hosts here on Trek FM are big contributors to Patreon and found our way onto the network through Patreon. So if you can uh, spare any money, uh, and we don't care what the denomination is, it really means a lot to us because there is a lot of content that we're putting up there, a lot of bandwidth, a lot of programming, a lot of equipment that we need. So please, if you can help us out, we'd appreciate it. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trackfm, and you you can click any donation you want. And we do have some incentives for you. So... For $15 a month, you get to join the patrons roundtable where you podcast. And, and, you know, again, that is where a lot of us started. It was on the roundtable. I was on the very first one. I had a blast. And if you can contribute $25 or more per month, then you get associate producer credits for whatever show you like. And we love our associate producers. So. Please, 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 if you, if you have the ability, it is more than appreciated. And speaking of our associate producers, we'd like to thank Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. Thank you so much, always, for your support for both Standard Orbit and the Trek FM network. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRes underscore 1701. You can find Richard at RUT8972. And you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at GeekFilter. So if you're looking for me on the network, you can you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm always on there. Uh, pre-post shows, talking different subjects with all our listeners. And you can also find me on Twitter at Boston S C P O. That means Boston, Senior Chief Petty Officer.
0: As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H, and I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show from the early 2000s. And we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. And also, I'm around the Babel Conference as well. It's always great to talk to you guys on there, making conversation about our shows, other shows, general Star Trek topics, anything, really. Love to talk to you guys on there. So thanks for listening, everyone. And join us again next time here on Trek.FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.